When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter, towards west of Westeros, and those shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Cat Napsock for a bit of an old school edition. That's why I brought the old music out. The old music is still the music around these parts. Podcast only version today, and I am doing this old school. What does that mean? Well, it's me by myself in a room. I want to thank everyone, uh, who's been on the show and part of the show this season. Uh, But it's also fun just for me to fire up a microphone and get recording. I got some calls I want to get to, calls that people made through the Anchor app. And that used to be the lifeblood of this podcast back when it was Daily Thrones. But reviewing two shows at once, plus my work on Force Center... Recording on YouTube, going live to YouTube. I got to tell you something. I just couldn't get to the voice calls. I felt really bad about that. That's on me. I should be a better king's guard of the messages. That doesn't work. I saw them come in. A lot of our regulars. And I'm going to play a lot of them today. And when I said up top that I'm doing old school, what I also mean by that is uh, back in the Daily Thrones days, For the most part, I had to record that podcast directly on my phone and often on the go, sometimes in hallways around the Collider Video Studio offices. Uh, One time uh, about 11.59 outside of a movie theater because not to explain the business of it there, but I used to be on like a 24-hour clock and I had to contractually with Anchor at the time before uh, Spotify bought them. I had to contractually give them 10 minutes of content a day in a 24-hour period. So there was one time I was out uh, out of a movie and I realized I was short, uh, short about, about a minute. So I uh, jumped on my phone and recorded the Daily Thrones episode on the fly outside of a movie theater. And I kind of missed those days, but I like being more prepared. I like going in-depth. And that's uh, where we are right now, where we will continue to be. But I wanted to get an episode out this week. I am traveling. We wanted to do the second part of our Rings of Power recap. Alden Diaz, Nikki Kumar, Rachel Cushing Levine, ready in the bullpen to come on out and close out that discussion. And well, uh, just with my travel schedule, it just kind of wasn't going to work this week. And I think that's better. I think it's better not to rush a bigger, a longer uh, discussion. Uh, But I wanted to get something out to you here, especially on the podcast side, because the reason we even have a a YouTube channel that is growing and and workable and a good place for us to have discussions is because so many of you who joined the Daily Thrones podcast feed back in 2017 stuck with us when we changed to Casterly Talk. A great name, I will always say, suggested and um, bequeathed to me. I don't know. uh, Maybe I stole it like a pirate from Lawn Harris, who's also a past contributor on the show, and I do intend to get Lawn back. Uh, schedule was tough for me this year. 
to get a bunch of people on. Schedule is always it. Uh, but so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of dive in, take a look at uh, things around the world. Uh, a shorter episode, on, like I said, on the podcast side, and get to some of the calls and questions, even one all the way back to episode three, which it is, uh, I, I wanted to honor that caller by playing the call, finally. Um, that's on me again. But also it's a great call, especially now that we know a little bit of uh, how, uh, you know, how the story moved forward and how season one wrapped up with House of the Dragon. Um, this is uh, this is a, a, a downtime for the show, without a doubt, the, the show being Casterly Talk. Uh, we understand that the two shows that we covered are now in the rearview mirror for their first seasons, and it's a bit of a wait until the next seasons. Uh, so I do want to confirm right now something, and I even got a call from uh, Eric Monroe that addresses it. We are going to officially move forward on covering the Disney Plus show Willow. Uh, that is uh, something that uh, a lot of folks uh, have been in my ear about because they want to do it. I think that movie means a lot to a lot of people. I enjoy the movie a lot. It was uh, a favorite of mine uh, back in the day. I, it was. I, I, it came out, what, 87, 88? So that would be right in my range where you're getting a little older. And some of the fantasy things that you absolutely loved as a kid, including Star Wars, maybe fade a little bit to the background before you discover a little bit more about who you are. And, and for me, Star Wars was always there, but then it came back in a big way. Willow was right on that cusp where I liked it. I enjoyed it. And I kind of left it behind where other people, it, it meant a lot. But I, 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 I'm such a fan of Warwick Davis, a big fan of uh, Aaron Kellyman, who is uh, going to be in the TV version. I even like John Kasdan, man. A big fan of Solo Star Wars Story. And John Kasdan, uh, clearly that property meant a lot to him. And uh, he's he's uh, part, part of the creative force behind it. So we are going to cover it here. Uh, whether or not I lead that coverage, I'm not needed to lead it. I think Alden Diaz will be uh, heading up that coverage there. But I also don't want to have a business meeting on everything. But I want to confirm that for a lot of you there, uh, right here, right now. We will be covering Willow. And in acknowledging that it is a downtime for Rings of Power <laughs> And House of the Dragon. That means we are going to be able to do the other things that uh, we've done here on the podcast feed. The, the Game of Thrones rewatch will pick up. We are going to have that Rings of Power recap discussion next week. And then we'll dive in. We will bring the magnifying glass out. And we'll dive in on things, on both shows, Rings of Power, House of the Dragon. Things, uh, themes, and things maybe we miss. Things we are reevaluating. Fun what ifs. We got one today. And I think that is uh, going to be the lifeblood of the podcast side. Which is some fun that we'll, we'll, we'll air those on YouTube as well. But we'll do some live Q&A shows on YouTube. Those work out really well. Also want to not forget that there's some uh, books at the center of the Game of Thrones world, the A Song of Ice and Fire world. I just refer to it all as the world of ice and fire. Interesting live stream, I think about a week ago with George uh, George R. R. Martin, Talking about uh, the books, and, and it's nothing necessarily new. His big update, the headline is Winds of Winter is three-quarters of the way done. I always suggest going to Watchers on the Wall or WinterIsComing.net, two websites with great uh, Game of Thrones, uh, House of Dragon updates, book updates, editorials. Uh, you can find out uh, a lot of great stuff over on those two websites, and I love being part of this uh, World of Ice and Fire discussion ecosystem. The headline is Winds of Winter is three-quarters of the way done. 
And I think the highlight of the web, uh, of, of the interview here, uh, as reading from the website, is that George is once again acknowledging that, hey, I, I, I'm not giving you predictions. I've never lied. I'm just bad at predictions. I'm bad at letting you really, truly know when this will be done because I don't really know. And I'm, I'm completely paraphrasing there on that. But that's the spirit. He says, I think I'm about three-fourths of the way done, but that's not 100% done, so I have to continue to work on it. I... Uh, I, 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 this is just, I was talking with Alden Diaz about it, watching that clip in the live stream. It seems even towards the end, he, he seemed to get a little emotional. He's always been honest, especially in the last couple of years, being a little upset sometimes with the fandom, and he addresses it here. Uh, he makes what he thinks is the best case estimate, and then uh, stuff happens, and everyone gets mad that I, quote, lied. I've never lied about these predictions. They're the best I can make, but I guess they overestimate my ability to get stuff done and underestimate the amount of interruptions and other projects, other demands that will distract me. That's his uh, quote there. He seemed a little emotional, whether it's anger, whether it's uh, looking back on his life and career. Um, he, uh, you know, I saw a recent picture of them of him, and he looked like he lost a little weight. And that's neither here nor there, but it just uh, could be a sign that post-COVID, uh, maybe he is uh, taking care of his health. Not that he, again, I want to be clear, not that he didn't take care of his health, not that weight has anything to do with what's actually going on inside of you. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's always in the back of my mind. He's always getting older. Uh, he's uh, uh, always working really hard. Always feeling the stress. I sometimes just want to uh, uh, virtually, figuratively, spiritually grab George, put him in a corner, light some candles, give him some uh, what his favorite drink, a food of choice, put on a football game, and just say, just breathe, man. Just breathe. Right if you want. Just relax. Stressed out. Stressed out. Uh, and I just kind of got the sense of the, from the live stream that there's a lot of stress going on. Hell, uh, reviewing two fantasy shows, reviewing Star Wars shows. I mean, I got stressed out the last couple of months. You can only imagine George R. R. Martin being the creative force behind this world for so many projects. And he's passionate about it, wants to expand it. Uh, the spinoff shows, whether or not some have been canceled or some will ever see the light of day. The animated shows, whether some have been canceled, will ever see the light of day. I'm not worried about that at this point. I want them all to hit. I want them all to be out there. Uh, but I think he does too. And if he has a hand in it, he's going to give it his all. And I believe he's given it all to this book. I've made jokes about, hey, George, finish the books. And you know what? Sometimes they even get a little grumpy of, hey, George, finish your story instead of criticizing the Game of Thrones story. Uh, there's been a couple times I've had that, and I still hold to that. But I think I'm going to also be taking the foot off the gas when it comes to the book conversation. Not that George is listening to us. Not that word gets back to George or he cares one damn about the Castle Talk crew. But to put that energy out in the, in the universe there. George, when you're done, you're done. And we'll enjoy Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring and whatever you get out there. Let's take a look or a listen, if you will, to some of the questions. And I do want to go back. And now, when I said old school, the questions, the calls that used to come in from all of you, I would often take them on the fly. Now, as a broadcaster, going back to the 90s when I started my broadcasting career, I always encourage any of you who want to do podcasting, want to get into broadcasting, learn to be on the fly. Learn to speak on the fly. Learn to take questions on the fly. Learn to deal with mistakes on the fly. I don't care about how many uhs and ums you say. Sure, I try to cut those out as much as I can, but I fail that all the time. It's just a habit. Don't worry about that stuff. Just worry about what you can do on your feet as a broadcaster. 
But also, I, I do encourage you to uh, don't be afraid to do a little research, to come in prepared and maybe listen to the questions ahead of time. But I thought it'd be fun today. I, I took a little le- uh, look at some of the questions, the calls that came into the Anchor app. And I thought, you know, often back in the Daily Thrones days, I only had time to listen to the questions and then immediately record my response. Sometimes that means I might flounder. Sometimes it might uh, mean I don't give the best answer that I think about later. Um, but it goes, uh, it forces me to go with my heart, my gut. And that's what I love. And that's what I bring to my uh, pop culture punditry. My heart, the gut reactions, the deep themes, the discussions. I love those. I love having pages of notes of House of the Dragon episodes or Rings of Power episodes. But at the end of the day, for me, it's how I feel in my heart and how I feel that immediate reaction to answers, to thoughts, to what ifs, to criticisms, to what I love, to what I like, to what I want more of. The heart, the soul, that's what guides me in this fandom. So I thought in that spirit, I'm just going to press play on some questions. We're going to listen to them and I'm going to try to answer them. Alden's not here. Nikki Kumar's not here. Lauren Romo's not here. Rachel Cushing Levine's not here. And any, uh, Andres Cabrera and any of the other voices that have been on this channel. Uh, so if there's a question that's interesting and you want their uh, response, hey, maybe we'll do it again and get their more uh, thoughtful research response. But for right now, it's me in a studio, and I'm going to hear what you got to say. This one, I said, uh, goes back earlier to this season. I felt so bad I wanted to get it because it's one of uh, my favorite callers, one of our regulars, uh, and uh, she put this, took the time to, to get these uh, questions and thoughts in. So uh, we're going back to post, I think it's episode three of House of the Dragon, around that time. But we're going to see also what that, Questions we might have had then or thoughts that were provided then, what they might mean now, now that the season is completed. So, Addy, you're up here. House of the Dragon. Hey, Ken and Casterly Talk. Addy here after a long absence and some personal things that I had to deal with. But I'm back and I am absolutely loving House of the Dragon and the Rings of Power, but I want to talk about the House of the Dragon, episode three, and this might be a two-part message because I want to talk about two juxtapositions that are happening. The first point is that I am 100% here for the Rhaenyra Targaryen energy of it all. She is taking what she wants, and she is refusing to apologize for it. She is learning that lesson, and I am just here for that big Rhaenyra energy. But I thought in the last episode, episode three, there were two really interesting juxtapositions that happened. The first was between Damon and Rhaenyra, which was fascinating knowing what's coming with some of that, if you know what's coming. But just the juxtaposition of them both emerging bloody on the field of battle with their respective victories, her the boar and him the crab eater. Patty again. The other juxtaposition that I found really interesting that you all touched on in the last couple episodes talking about Alicent and Rhaenyra is the juxtaposition of Alicent and Rhaenyra in that Alicent has spent her entire life sort of pleasing people. And we saw that a lot in episode three, that she is the peacemaker, that she is going to do whatever is necessary to just keep everyone on the same terms, talking to one another, etc., be the go-between between Viserys and Rhaenyra. And I think that's a really interesting juxtaposition to Rhaenyra, again, sort of knowing what is coming, that she is ultimately going to learn that lesson that Rhaenyra has learned, but she's a couple steps behind of taking what she wants. 
Great calls from Addy. Addy, uh, thank you for those calls. Going back a bit. I know. I owe y'all for some of these calls sitting around here. Uh, this is great. It's great to look back, uh, look back at those early episodes. Powerful moments. And again, going with my gut reaction here. I, I, I think season one is about so many characters, so many houses, and so many big plots. But I think for me, it is about Rhaenyra Targaryen and Alicent Hightower, two women in this world, two women in this structure, what they see in front of them, what they see what is expected of them, what they want, and how they go about getting it or surviving or changing, growing, getting power, losing power, finding love, losing love, getting what they want as best they can. Survival is big because I think that is what they feel or what they might think is all they can do. I look across to Star Wars a lot to the character of Kira, played by Amelia Clark. That was a little bit about dragons. You have two characters in that world, Kira and Han Solo. Han thinks he can win. Han thinks you can just, you just do it. We'll get out of it. We'll figure it out. It's going to be good. I have a good feeling about this. This version of Han Solo that I love so much says. With Amelia Clark, because of her experiences, because of her uh, position in that world, uh, Star Wars uh, doesn't, has oppressive structures, to be clear, uh, the Empire being the most uh, most uh, oppressive of the structures. But it's uh, dealing with things a little different than House of the Dragon, more directly taking on ideas of uh, the patriarchy, uh, the women's uh, women's role in this that society and, and, and ours. And, and Solo does that as well. But it's fascinating to watch Amelia Clark just feel because of her experiences and her position in this world that all she can really truly do is survive. That's all we can do. You don't necessarily have to win. It's not about winning. It's about surviving. Now, does that directly one-to-one compare to Rhaenyra and Allison? Maybe not. But I think overall, it's the same spirit. It's the same feeling. You have Rhaenyra Targaryen early on fighting against this world, rebelling against this world, knowing that maybe she will have to do some of these things, marriage, children, ruling, but she doesn't necessarily want to, and she might go kicking and screaming until she becomes... uh, who she is and who she kind of grows into herself. I think the boar, the white stag, the blood, it is a fantastic moment and it's a fantastic episode. And it absolutely, to me, connects the juxtaposition that uh, uh, Addie's talking about, but it connects to Damon and them emerging and what's going to happen between them. But I, I'm focusing in here on Renera. I think, and, and it could be wrong, um, you're all open to you. It's all open to your own interpretations. But the Rhaenyra that we saw, Rhaenyra that we saw with the boar, the blood, walking into camp like a boss, I think Rhaenyra reconnects to that person a little bit later on, maybe even at the at the end. Saw a few people tweet this out of Rhaenyra is not just angry at the end of episode 10. She doesn't turn around with anger. It's grief. It's anger. It's uh, maybe a little revenge, <laughs> vengeance, but perhaps this idea that, hey, you're right. She knows in her heart that she is right about her position, her um, being the heir to the throne, the way she's maybe going about doing it, and winning. Not winning in terms of power, but winning because this is what we can do, this is what we should do, this is what I feel that I am. The blood is dripping down her face again at the end of the season. I love connecting back to that moment and looking at from this point, episode 10, uh, post-episode 10 to back episode 2, episode 3 range. 
On the other side, you have an Allison who has always been just appalled by Rhaenyra. At the same time, she's intrigued and probably a little envious, probably inspired, probably wishes she had that kind of strength. I've always expressed some empathy towards Alicent and for Alicent. Uh, my life is very different than this character's or anyone else in our real world who might find themselves connected more directly with Alicent. But I am someone who is um, a little, uh, especially grown up, I'm, I'm a little trepidatious. I'm a little bit more of a rule follower. I'm a little bit more, this is what is expected of us. Let's just grin and bear it. Let's get through it. Let's do what we're supposed to do. Let's not color outside the lines. I'm a creative person, but also have a whole other side. Uh, my dad's an artist. Um, my mom is um, more on the management side of things in life and creative in her own ways. But I have those two worlds. But my dad is also uh, someone who um, probably doesn't color within the lines, wishes he could maybe color outside of them, but just thinks, well, this is what we do. We stay in the lines. I see all that in Allison. Uh, that's where I think I connected with Allison, particularly early on. You have Rhaenyra ripping pages out of books. You have Rhaenyra saying, I ain't going to follow no rules. I don't want these rules. Now, again, she does end up doing them. And I don't know if her spirit was dampened. I'm not saying that. The Rhaenyra that's in uh, episode six, seven, eight, nine. I don't know if her spirit's dampened. I think she loves her children. I think she um, had um, the relationships that uh, she wanted to be in, uh, whether with uh, Harwin Strong or, or, or eventually Damon. Controversial as both may have been. Those are things she wanted to do. She went out and got what she wanted. But I wonder if she started to feel as though I was a little bit more in the lines. Allison, maybe, then starts to move forward and say, see, see, I was in the lines. I colored with the lines, and this is where I am. But she still finds herself wanting to create that window in her own prison, as uh, Rainey's said so wonderfully. So to go back to those episodes, to think about the early versions of Allison and Rhaenyra, I think Rhaenyra reconnected to that fire, that, dare I quote Snoke, that spit of hope. I think she's more aligned with that character now, that version, that age. And Allison maybe has floundered a little bit, pushed herself, challenged herself to color outside the lines, challenged herself to maybe get what she wants. I feel uh, that those are some of the lessons that Otto was trying to teach her. But... She's still just trying to survive. She still doesn't think it's about winning. It's just about how do you survive within this structure. Ah, going forward, I cannot wait to see how the show deals with those two characters. And what they're trying to get out of this world. What they feel they can do. What they feel they're allowed to do. And what rules they don't give a damn about. In her heart, I think Allison right now knows she's wrong. And I think in her heart, Rhaenyra knows she's right. Oh, let's get to those dancing of the dragons. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, a couple other calls from some of our regulars. Stick around for more Casterly Talk. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome back to Casterly Talk. We don't have that as a theme song. We don't have that as a theme song. All right, so we are going to take a couple more calls here. And this is uh, one that I wanted to play from uh, Eric Monroe. Eric is one of our more valued listeners. Look, I don't have a pecking order of our listeners. If you've listened for years and never called in, that doesn't mean you're less than. That means you're probably what most people are. But Eric has always been a valuable contributor to our conversations and to the flow of the show. Uh, Love interacting with him. He's got a big, wonderful heart for this world. Not afraid to say what he struggles with. Not afraid to say what he loves. And, like me, is a fan of Stannis Baratheon. So, I'm going to take this call from Eric Monroe about his season one House of the Dragon Thoughts. Literally, and I got to tell you, I absolutely loved it. Now, my mindset going into the season, I did have high expectations. I thought it was going to be really good. But it exceeded my expectations. I would put season one up with season one of Lost, season one of Game of, of, Game of Thrones. I, I thought it was fantastic. It pulled me right in. If I had any little nitpick about it, it's not really a big one. I agree with you, Ken. It didn't really have – there wasn't really any humor in season one. You know, you didn't really – you didn't have that Tyrion character. But they said they're going to rectify that actually in season two. But I don't feel they actually really need to. So – Love season one. I'm really happy to hear that the, the Game of Thrones rewatch is going to be coming back because you're getting to season five, which is a very big and tragic status season. And I'm also happy to hear your 95% will do Willow, which I am fully on board with. That is the film that shaped my childhood. So I can't wait. Eric, I think, I think I've agreed to cover Willow here on Castle Talk for two reasons. That look on Alton Diaz's face when he talks about Willow and he gets so excited. And Eric Monroe's passion for it. So, Eric, you're the final 5%. That's why it's 100%. Great thoughts on season one of House of the Dragon. Uh, and also addressing that, yes, the Game of Thrones rewatch will return. We're going to pick up mid, well, late season four. We're just going to keep it going. Uh, season four, episode eight, which is a pretty big one. Uh, look for that uh, in a couple weeks here. But... Uh, man, uh, in regards to season five and Stannis Baratheon, that's a tough one for me to take. I don't know if I want to relive that pain. I don't know. Uh, the end of season four, man, Stannis Baratheon's just a hero. I just wore my love for Stannis on my sleeve during that season. And so when that happened, and, you know, we're playing with a different uh, deck of cards for season four of Game of Thrones... We kind of know some of the things are going to happen if you're a book reader, but even the book readers could not predict the end game. They still can't, by the way. And George might be playing with that. But at the end of season four, whoo, man, I'm looking around all my friends going, see, I told you, he's just the best. And season five changed that. (laughs) So I'm going to have to relive that pain. Uh, One of the things Erica talked about uh, is something I have mentioned as well. And looking ahead to House of the Dragon Season 2, it's uh, interesting to bring up the idea of uh, humor, um, the Tyrion Lannister of it all. 
Ryan Connell has addressed two things in interviews. And I'll be honest, right now, at this point, I haven't taken a deep dive into a lot of the interviews out there with some of the creators. I have yet to look at the behind-the-scenes things that uh, uh, Alden and, and, and Nikki Kumar uh, just praised to the high heavens. I'm going to check them out. Um, I'm, I've been waiting a little bit. Maybe sit down and watch them all in one afternoon. Uh, we'll probably maybe cover them here as well. It'll be kind of fun. Uh, but uh, I, I, I have taken a look at those Ryan Condell comments. One of the reasons I'll say this is uh, right now, I'm, we are in a, a, a the, the, the pop culture pungentry uh, is in a different spot than it was in 2011 when Game of Thrones debuted. And I think Game of Thrones is an influential show in so many ways. Not just uh, in TV, what you can do on TV. Yes, there's been uh, high-profile prestige programming before Game of Thrones. Looking to use Sopranos, The Wire, a lot of shows like that. But what Game of Thrones did for the nerd world, the geek world, that kind of pop culture uh, cannot be denied. Both, I think, in meeting rooms and networks where we got to make our Game of Thrones. You see an explosion of that afterwards. Makes sense. Uh, What you can do. Throw money at a show and make it look like the money is well spent or make it look what, uh, you know, your budget that's a little lower than people think can uh, look beautiful. Season one, season two, even up to uh, season eight where they're making budget choices. I think that's part of the influence of Game of Thrones. But I think one of the big influences, like Lost, uh, a network prestige show, but Lost was a conversation starter a show that you wanted to talk about with other viewers and friends of yours, family members, what enemies, cab drivers, whatever, anyone who watched the show, you want to, you want to discuss it. Now, I, I'll be honest, I didn't take the dive into loss, but I remember that time. All kids, I remember the mid-2000s. And that was uh, what's going on, going on with that show. I think Game of Thrones is that. From the moment the first episode uh, went out, I remember being on Facebook and people were discussing it in, in ways that we had not experienced in this modern world of social media. Revenge of the Sith 2005 was in a, in the social media media area uh, era, excuse me. Uh, Attack the clones on the cusp, but I signed up for friends during 2002. MySpace comes roaring in there. No one was debating it, at least in my circles. Uh, I'm talking about Revenge of the Sith 2005. Uh, and you can take your prequel jokes and set them on the shelf because I'm a prequel fan here. But you know, the feeling was different. You discussed it maybe with your friends. Maybe you did discuss it a little bit online. Maybe a MySpace blogged about it. Maybe someone's Tumblr had it. But it wasn't like just six years later on Facebook seeing the explosion of conversations around it. Podcasts have grown. The industry, the digital media industry is growing. And I think Game of Thrones is one of those shows that caused people to seek out conversations. Seek out theories. Um which later on is something I would uh, take uh, take on bridge with. Speculate responsibly, specifically at Force Center. Don't let theories and what-ifs dominate your thoughts about shows. Engage with what is presented to you. But you know where I'm going with this. All that to say, I think we're now 10, 12 years later, we're in an era where, man, too many interviews with creators, too many interviews with actors. They got to promote things, and they want to talk about the things they're proud of working on. I get it. Uh, but, and, 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 and I'm in... I, The irony is, yes, I get it. I'm in this pop culture punditry industry. But I like talking about what is there on the screen. I like what is talking about what is on the page. A little bit more than listening to Tony Gilroy explain for the 50th time one little line in Andor. And I think Ryan Condal's been very out and open talking about this show, as he should. He should be proud of his work on House of the Dragon. 
But I have all that to say, this long-winded thing to say, I have ignored a lot of the interviews. I go to the behind the episodes or in, inside the episodes things on HBO. Those are fun. Those are a great way to really dove, just see what's going on in the episodes thematically. Maybe double check your own notes about what you felt is going on in the episodes. I love those. I really do love those. And they get made fun of uh, because, sure, everything and everything with anything with sincerity in this pop culture world is going to get made fun of by certain sections. But I, I have not paid attention. But I, I've paid attention to the Condal interviews talking about next season, not in terms for plot or what's going to happen, but for the two big things of what is coming in terms of battles and what Condal is saying about, hey, season one really set up the characters. We spent time with the characters. And yes, I know they time jumped. Uh, I'm saying that, not Condal. But we set up what I hope is, uh, I think what Condal's meaning by this, set up the investment in these houses and these characters and their stories and then the, the bleep's going to hit the fan. All hell's going to break loose. And I think we already see that going to Storm's End and how the season ends. I'm really excited about that. When people, I, I was asked this weekend, hey, what do you want to see in, in, in season two of House of the Dragon? It's a different question for, say, when you were looking at Game of Thrones, uh, despite it uh, taking its own path. Uh, uh, outside of the books and thematically doing what the show needed to do and wanted to do, which I still contend it did, um, we kind of had an idea or we kind of were weighing the two possibilities, George R's uh, possibilities, Dan and Dave's possibilities. Fire and Blood, the story is written, the ink is dry, there's a lot of space on those pages, a lot of space between those words and the ink that is drying, but we kind of know the big end results. Now, for those who have not read Fire and Blood, for those who don't know uh, the endings, not going to mention them right here. Not mentioning them here right now. Uh, we are definitely going to try to be uh, absolutely uh, uh, you know, cognizant of that going forward. I think there's some moments here that slip. It's hard to separate the two. I think when you're analyzing characters at specific points in their lives and these stories and you know the results, so you know what some of these things are not just setting up in terms of plot, but setting up for the connections the decisions uh, the emotions the changes the failures the victories when you know those things it's it's hard to not have an intelligent discussion that includes overall thoughts on where these characters are heading but that said no spoilers for fire and blood house of the dragon here today unlike joffrey and shireen baratheon who've already spoiled the stories in game of thrones but because we do know because we kind of have the general beats and we know where this all ends up I am looking at the forthcoming seasons a little differently. I know some of the events I want to see. I know some of the things I want uh, the show to get to, but it's the scope and the scale. It's the momentum. Uh, I absolutely love House of the Dragon being a deliberate, I think precise at times, show about what it's saying, about what it's commenting on, and what it's setting up for the characters. I think Condal, they set out to do that. Um, and I'm just talking in terms of plot. I'm not talking about uh, attacking uh, uh, the patriarchy, uh, oppressive systems, um, uh, toxic masculinity, I think is, is absolutely uh, being dealt with there. I keep saying time and time again, the general audience of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, and I want to I highlight that word, general. This does not necessarily represent everyone listening to my voice now, but I think in general, a lot of daemons, 
love the Game of Thrones world. I think this show has been communicating to the demons of this world. Are they listening? I don't know. I'm going to do my best to open up their ears, though. I think season one did a great job doing that. I did find it somber at times. I did find it serious, not self-righteous, not uh, taking itself too seriously, but it was a serious and somber show. Somber is that word I kept using because that's what I uh, felt at the end of every episode. And this is a serious topic. It's not a joyous time we're getting into. The Dance of Dragons was not a happy, happy, joy, joy party. But neither was the uh, War of the Five Kings and the, uh, the Game of Thrones we all saw play out. But that show had what was in the books, by the way. What is in the books is a spirit of fun. And then you get the writers and you get the directors. Then you get the actors that bring so much to it. Jerome Flynn as Braun is an MVP of Game of Thrones overall, but particularly the early seasons. He brought something to it that he knew all along as a performer he was going to bring to it. That's what he saw in the character. That's what he wanted to bring to the character. That's what the writers put into the character. And the way he played with Tyrion, the way he just meshed with Tyrion, uh, and Peter Dinklage as a performer, you see it and you feel it. And a lot of people go to that. Uh, Eric did as well about those characters, that spirit. Um, and though Game of Thrones at times had those slow episodes, had a lot of those slow episodes. How many times in a Game of Thrones season did you hear a podcast say, or maybe I said on a podcast, episode three, kind of slow, just setting up, putting pieces on the board. Let's get to the big action. I think we all have to uh, be reminded that it's okay to have, use your patient skills to get through uh, seasons of story. Andor is teaching a lot of people that right now. But I I'm looking forward to season two of House of the Dragon being bigger, a little more epic. Condal is promising those wars, those dances that you think uh, uh, should be there or, or want to be there are going to be there. And that's going to make season one more valuable than I think it is even right now. We're going to be able to go back to this and see this truly as, I guess I could say prequel to the forthcoming Civil War. That's the intention of it there. George R. R. Martin's out there saying, and it's interesting to have Martin out there saying things about season one of House of the Dragon that are not negative. They're just honest uh, thoughts. He's already said, I wish we had 13 episodes. I wish we had more time. Uh, and that the time jumps were dealt with very wonderfully by Condal and his crew, but I just wish we had more time. Now, that is not an attack on House of the Dragon. It's not even an attack on HBO. It's just at George and his general feeling towards television. We all know that. That's why he wrote these books, working working on Beauty the Beast and so many other shows in the 80s where his creativity was dashed, uh, and he wanted to go write A Song of Ice and Fire and make it as unproducible as possible, which, again, side conversation, going to Dan and Dave and everyone behind that show, the fact that they took books that were intended to be unproducible in any live action or animated form and make them into one of the biggest shows of all time, even with flaws, even with mistakes. And they are there are flaws and there are, are mistakes. Uh, I still think it's a massive accomplishment. But it's interesting to hear uh, George R. R. Martin kind of throw that little criticism um, uh, grenade at House of the Dragon. Again, not the show, but just everything around it. And it gets dealt with in a different way. Maybe it's because his tone and tenor is is a little different than some of his stuff about Game of Thrones, especially later in the show's run. But uh, we have done that. Season one has, uh, even with time jumps, took its time. Took its time to let you know the greens and the blacks. Alicent Rhaenyra. Aegon on the throne. Rhaenyra on the throne. Here's the players. The losses are going to be felt. The wars are going to be, I think, that much uh, more racked 
with pain and suffering and tension, uh, I think the investment's going to be bigger from all of us. I really think, I think it's the case. I'm excited for that. And the other note, the thing that started this uh, conversation uh, thread here in my mind is, yes, Condal's already addressed. Yeah, season one, a little more serious. We are going to explore natural ways to get to levity. Uh, I'm paraphrasing him right there, but and that's the right way to do it. You're not going to wedge in comedy just to wedge in comedy. I would not want that. I do not think that's what uh, Game of Thrones for eight seasons did. I think it came from the character. Comedy is best when it comes from the character. A little bit of the situation, but it's mostly the character uh, and any um, you know obstacles in front of them. Often, where comedy comes from, but. Uh, I think they're going to get there, and I, I think you you can get there. I think Damon's very funny when he, um, whether he intends to be or not. Uh, I, I I think there's a, especially early on. Uh, I think Emma Darcy does such a a wonderful job with Renera, powerful stuff from them. But I think the other side, Millie Alcock, brought a, a little bit of them. A, a younger energy, as she should, that lent itself to a little bit more uh, humorous moments. Uh, at this point, does not look like we'll have Emily Gary or uh, Millie Alcock back in those roles. Uh, not to say that we couldn't find a way, and I'd be open to it. But I, I, I think, I think you could still find that with Renair. And 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 there's humor, in Renair. I think in the in the uh, later episodes. But I think I think you can mine it there. Uh, I, I I think there are characters without, and, and we'll have new characters show up. I, I don't ever believe we'll see mushroom. I I don't think uh, we the show the show needs mushroom, but. Uh, that's possible too. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but I'm looking forward to that. Only because, not because I think this season, this season one, uh, the first season of House of Dragons lacked that. I just felt its absence, if that makes sense. The show did what it needed to do. It's dealing with serious topics. It's showing you things up front in your, in your face, getting your attention, getting the intended audience's attention about what they need to see, particularly about what women have to do in this world and something that tracks and connects with our world. Again, whether or not the message was received by the daemons of the world, we'll find out. I don't know. I will continue to try to spread that message. But I think season one uh, didn't, uh, maybe just didn't need the humor. It took, uh, it took its chances, but I, I missed it. And I missed every week Knowing that I'm going to get some serious things, I'm going to get some violence, and old Game of Thrones get a little bit more sex, uh, and uh, you're going to get some laughs. Uh, this season, there were times, as much as I love the show, there were times I had to kind of sit down, whew, gather my breath, <clears throat> and watch House of the Dragon, because I knew it was going to be Samba, and I think it'll change. Great thoughts, Eric. Love your thoughts all the way through. And uh, we'll get more calls. We'll do this from time to time here. We'll catch up with calls. Uh, I do want to get to this one here from, uh, again, one of our longtime listeners who's been a great supporter of mine over the years. Love hearing his voice. He is from House Bahuta, which is an inside joke between us. But it's Tamo RT is up. He's got a series of calls here with some questions and great what ifs and afterthoughts. And I wanted to honor uh, Tamo and his longtime support by playing the calls. Here we go. Alden, honored guest. And Castaway Talk audience, this is Taymor of House B. It's not an abbreviation for House Baratheon. Wink, wink. I would like to start by expressing my gratitude for all the great conversations that were had on House of the Dragon and all the great discussions to come. I cannot express how much I love the show and 
highly recommend that everyone watch House of the Dragons Built as it gives great insight into each episode. That said, I do have questions that I would like everyone's thoughts on, starting with what would have happened if Alicent had seized the Iron Throne for herself instead of passing it to her children, what would her reign look like, and would she come to an agreement with Rhaenyra to become co-rulers? Instead of asking those questions is when Otto told Alicent in episode 9, you are queen of the Seven Kingdoms, so I'm looking at it from the point of view that power was well within her grasp. My other questions are, do you think Rhaenyra's decision to omit her encounter to Alicent in episode 4 stemmed from Alicent's decision to omit that she was seeing King Viserys behind her back. Speaking of King Viserys, could he have named Rhaenyra Hand of the King until such time where his health deteriorated and he was no longer able to take care of matters in the court? Another question I have regarding King Viserys is, did he have to remarry because of the law in Westeros? If so, could he have changed it? Aside from the questions I've asked so far, I have two questions regarding Damon. Considering how highly he thinks of Aegon the Conqueror, would he have accepted the prophecy, a song of ice and fire, if King Viserys took a chance and entrusted him with it? Also, watching Damon throughout the course of this season has shown me he much rather prefers to be Hand of the King or Queen. We see him perform his duties in preparation of war, but how do you think he would have performed his duties as Hand of the King during the reign of Viserys the Peaceful? All right, a great series of questions from T out there in NYC. Trying to go through them as best I can here. Uh, I love this uh, this first one here that comes across of, of, let's just say, Allison. Take some of those words literally, uh, where it's not just that I'm the queen regent, but I become, as Marjorie Tyrell says, the queen. What that would happen. That's a big what if. That's one that I'd love to get the thoughts on on uh, Alden, Nikki, Rachel, Lauren, anyone else on the show, Andres. Uh, would be a lot of fun. So maybe we'll come back to this one day more. But my gut reaction is this. We got the greens and, and we got the blacks right now, right? We got Allison on Team Green. Aegon, number two, is on the throne. Always kind of part of the plan. Always kind of Otto's plan. Even though uh, there, uh, she is... Uh, Allison is the queen with Viserys, to be clear. I want to make sure everyone understands that I understand that. But if uh, Viserys dies and somehow she makes a play for herself, taps into that Rhaenyra energy. What what did Addie call it? The big Rhaenyra energy. Uh, If Allison pulls up up some of that from her her gut there and becomes the queen, I I don't think there's any uh, path to it. Um, she'd have to lean into a little bit more of her Cersei-ness, but 
I love this idea. This is, this is a gut reaction answer. Is I wonder if you'd have uh, the blacks with uh, Rhaenyra and everyone at Dragonstone. Then you'd have the greens. And then maybe have the golds, <laughs> the reds. I don't know. Another color. Where maybe Allison would be the green still. I am the queen. But then you'd have a group of people who'd be like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Uh, that's not part of the plan. Aegon is the rightful heir. Therefore, the golds will say, that's where we're going. A three-way battle. A main event at WrestleMania to determine the champion. The blacks, the greens, the golds. Uh, I, I think that would be, be a, a possible outcome of that there. And the... Um, the, the, the th- big thought I had is, is, is or the big question I have is, where would Otto go? Where would Otto go? I think he would feel that the more powerful and true claim is Aegon, because that's just the way of it. Uh, the boy who shall become king, that's that's the way we go. But he's also a, a stand for House Hightower, right? There's a lot of pressure on him from uh, even his, uh, his family back home in Old Town. Um, hanging out around the Citadel about making sure uh, House Hightower is in a, in, a, in a good position. So I could even see uh, Otto being torn between the rightful heir, the man who deserves the throne, Aegon, excuse me, but also, damn, I'm pretty proud of my daughter. <laughs> I, I wonder... Again, this is a big what if. It doesn't, it doesn't follow necessarily the rules of, of Westeros. I don't know how Allison could get there. I think some heads would have to roll. But who knows? I think she did. Because the thing is, I think uh, she'd have some supporters. I think Allison would have a lot of supporters. We know Kristen Cole and his dumbass would be on a horse ready to fight for her. So there's one. It's like putting the command crew together uh, in uh, Home One and Return of the Jedi. That's one. I'm with you too. And Luke jump, jumps in and interrupts the meeting. Anyways, um, it'd be fascinating. It'd be fascinating. A three-way battle. And I, I think Aegon, Aegon would have, especially the way you present it, you know, they did that great coronation with the Conqueror's crown in the Dragon Pit for the people. A, a big rally. It's a, it's make a make Westeros great again rally that they had there. Uh, I think they would still, whoever was his supporters would try to do that. And I think they'd get a lot of the people's vote. Sadly, unfortunately. Where those kind of uh, playing on your, uh, perhaps your uh, most basic and worst instincts would get you to go a certain direction. And that direction would be Aegon. Uh, where Renera and Allison would have the, uh, the harder path. I think all things considered equal. I think Rhaenyra would be a good queen. I think, hey, I'll say, Rhaenyra is a good queen. Sorry, Rhaenyra. I think there's a version. Hear me out here. There's a version of Allison that's a good queen. That Allison, and he, he, we even had some calls. Addie's mentioned it early on. Uh, Eric's mentioned it uh, several times. Just, the, 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 you know, the connection between um, Allison and Rhaenyra I, I, I think Allison uh, loves Rhaenyra, right? That's uh, it's even there's been a couple of those times late in in the season where uh, you know olive branches were extended. I even think the final one, the um, the Rip Page. I mean, I I, I say this: uh, the best case scenario is uh, Rhaenyra and Allison are allowed to be together. 
there's definitely some some uh, um, uh, romantic uh, you know kind of overtones with them early on. I think I think even some of the writers and performers may have mentioned that. But again, I haven't taken that deep deep dive into the interviews. If this world was perfect, let them to be be together. And let's have two queens rule in this land for the the best the best uh, the better of the realm. Uh, not to be the case. Um, so I think this is a part a version of Allison that could be a good queen. But I think the version of Allison that takes the throne would not be a good queen. So I'm still siding with Rhaenyra there. I think. Other questions coming in there. I uh, love some of the stuff here, Taymor. Uh, just quickly about the Viserys stuff. About him having to marry again. I, I, whether or not it was, it's the quote-unquote rules, I just think it's one of those things that's expected, uh, for better or worse. And that's dangerous, right? If that didn't exist, we might not be in the situation we are. I say we as if I'm a citizen of Westeros here. Um, but Otto and so many others, that became, oh, the, that's such a tragedy of Ama Aaron. Oh, my gosh, my heart breaks. But, oh, there's an opening. I mean, right from the get-go, Otto's on that. Yeah, I mean, you almost have to respect it, right? <laughs> Hate the game, not the player, I guess, with Otto. Um, but maybe you can do both. And then you see along the way that so much of that episode, uh, those episodes of um, um, not just, you know, after, you know, who's going to marry Viserys or who's Viserys going to marry, such a, uh, a key thing to the plot, but also who's going to marry Rhaenyra. Uh, and, and marriage is a political tool. Marriage is a power play. Marriage is a weapon. That's still something that is um, at play in so many ways in our world. Not in my life, but, and I wouldn't, I don't think anyone would marry me for power, I guess, in this world. Um, all that to say, I, I don't know that, Timor, in terms of the actual rules of Westeros. Maybe someone out there knows. Maybe some wiki has the answer. Maybe George R. R. Martin, because he's listening, I know, can take the time to talk, answer that. Uh, but the fact that he felt he had to, the fact that he needed to, has a lot to do with the problems we have now. Uh, this final thought here on Damon, I love this. Um, Damon Targaryen, as portrayed by Matt Smith, is a fascinating character. For my money, I think he has done... He's committed too many sins for me to forget them. I think the show is asking you to at least understand where he's coming from, but is not necessarily, the show is not letting him get off scot-free, if that makes sense. There's some interesting praise for Damon out there that I think, uh, you know, the internet's a weird spot. Uh, the internet's a weird place and people can uh, glom on to characters and the relationships characters have i've seen some some of that with damon not unlike some of the uh kylo energy that was out there during the sequel era of star wars i'm not criticizing it i'm not saying it's bad i'm not saying if you're one of those folks that uh we don't want to around these parts no 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 damon's a great character and i think he's done a lot of right i think he has done a lot of great things i think he has done a lot of inspirational things i think he's done a lot of important things he's also um, he murdered his first wife. <laughs> he has uh, uh, done some scoundrelly things at best. He's been kicked out of the realm. He has uh, taken the trust of his brother and crushed it a few times. Uh, he, um, even at the end, him him choking Rhaenyra, not one of my favorite things to watch. It's uh, also just a real world thing. I think you should be uh, cautious about the amount of um, um, violence we show against women that is easily accepted um we're much better now about bigger acts of violence but a lot of times those little acts of violence that can fly under the radar screen uh can cause i think uh big problems that's just a personal take 
But outside, that's a different decision. That's not – I can't – it's Damon doing it, but, you know, it's a real real life decision. But in the discussion with the character Damon, I think Tamor brings up a good point. I think deep down, uh, there's two things in Tamor's call here about, hey, what, what, what if uh, Damon was the chosen heir? What if Azera says, yeah, you know what? You got this. You're going to grow into this. You got this. Here is this prophecy of fire and blood. Song of ice and fire, excuse me. Uh, I think Damon would, I think Damon would, number one, take it very seriously. I think he would keep that in mind with all of his decisions. But I wonder, especially if we see, the way we see him early on in the City Watch and that episode one act of let's keep the city safe by destroying and killing and maiming uh, power uh, for the sake of power. That's where I worry with Damon. It, it, it's it, we keep talking about the the, the end of episode one. The, you got the two characters here, Damon and Rhaenyra, and you got Damon uh, getting pissed and leaving the land and taking the dragon, his symbol of power, taking Masaria with him, going to Dragonstone, a symbol, a seat of power, and him feeling uh, that's the way to do it. I am a dragon. We are dragons. Be a dragon. That carries all the way up till two, excuse me, episode 10. He still has that thought. Even upon kind of hearing about the prophecy, he doesn't know the details. He knows that he doesn't know about it. It's not blood. It's not this. It's dragons. We're dragons. Be dragons. It still is where he's at. So I think if he had the responsibility over his head of that prophecy, I absolutely think he would abuse it even for the, the quote better of the land. He'd be one of those people that uh, says, we have to do this. I'm going to have to kill you because I got this prophecy hanging over me that you don't understand. And to keep the realm safe, you got to go so I can serve my greater good. And that he wouldn't approach it the right way. Rhaenyra, we know, we know gets it. Uh, we know that dragons aren't a power to be trifled with, but hey, maybe you have to. She's got a dragon herself. But I think if you respect that power, respect the danger that comes with it, I think you have a better understanding. Uh, very clearly, the pressure, the weight, the the knowledge, the burden of the prophecy is something that hangs over her. I am fascinated to see how it plays out. It's, I think it's one of my favorite decisions of the show to work that in. She's better suited for it. She is in a better position to handle the pressure of it, emotionally, spiritually. Damon is not. Which leads into the second thing of, of, of Tamor's thoughts here on this call. Of I don't want to paraphrase Tamor here, uh, but what I'm kind of taking from that is about, hey, maybe Damon would be a better hand of the king. Now, I don't think he'd be a good hand of the king. I think, unfortunately, someone like, I, I was going to say, unfortunately, Otto's a good hand of the king. Yeah, he is. So is Tywin, but Lord Strog might be one of the best hands we've seen so far. Davos, Tyrion, good hands. But as far as like official, uh, you know, canonical uh, in that world, hands of the king, Lord Strong. I like what I saw in the short amount of time we saw. Damon would be horrible, man. I think he'd be horrible. I think he's someone has no great insight. Damon Targaryen is someone who wants this power. He wants this prestige because he thinks he isn't. But he feels slighted. He feels left out. He goes and pouts. He's kicked out. He returns. He does dastardly deeds. He comes back and, and, and does heroic things. 
Um, this I love the beauty of this powerful dragon lord who couldn't even finish in the bedroom. It's a big thing about this character. I love their approach to it. All your bluster, all your violence. It doesn't get anything done. And I think he knows that. I think, therefore, he might want to be king. He might might have wanted to be the heir. But deep down, I think he knows he's not cut out for it. And that's maybe what burns him more than ever. So being number two is probably a good thing. But I think he'd give some bad advice. And we already kind of saw that. Now, again, in this world, bad advice doesn't always mean your thoughts. Hey, let's take the dragons and burn down the city. If Danny got a lot of that advice, it might have been the better advice early on. I don't know. But I think you have to respect someone like Tyrion Lannister, Davos, even Varys, for the good of the realm, for the good of the people, for the good of the small, small, small folk. I think that's important, and you want those people around you. Damon Targaryen, not necessarily one of those people, but he sure is fascinating. Folks, we did it. Podcast-only version today. Thank you for listening, but don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go and watch our shows over there. Get ready for some live Q&As coming. We're going to do a live uh, House of the, uh, excuse me, Rings of Power. Uh, what show are we talking about? Rings of Power recap. Uh, we're going to dive into that. Uh, I'm excited to actually uh, rewatch Rings of Power and uh, kind of see what I pick up more, more uh, on the rewatch, uh, what I focus on more with the story behind it, and we'll do that for House of the Dragon as well. Thank you for uh, following us if you are on Facebook or on Twitter, where we still remain for now at Casualty Talk. Uh, like I said, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you want to follow me, go to Ken Knapsack or my website, cadnapsack.com. Uh, you can find a lot of things I do, including my music show, Pop Rock and Radio. If you're one of those folks that, like me that uses ASMR to de-stress, relax, and focus, I have a new ASMR channel called Sports Card ASMR. Check it out. It's very sincere and real on the ASMR side, but it's also uh, funny and it's got some humor on the sports card and baseball side. So check it out if that's something. I want to do a special shout out to the other voices you've heard on the show this season. Andres Cabrera, follow him, Squad Leader Ace. He's doing some great stuff over there the uh, first cut brand uh, a lot of stuff on tiktok some of those some of those uh uh andres cabrera uh, house of the dragon explainers gets some big numbers which he deserves because he's one of uh, my favorite people in this space so follow him uh rachel cushing levine uh I'll give her a follow uh you know uh she's been such a, a valuable uh, voice here on the show for a bit but this season with the rings of power and house of the dragon love having her there lauren romo follow her low row nose uh, go listen to the Galactic Podcast or the Geek Broadcast. Uh, she brings a passion to this, a real love for this stuff. Uh, and uh, Nikki Kumar as well, uh, been a great addition to the show, uh, brought in by Alden, and uh, just love his insights. A very thoughtful, measured pundit, uh, and that's something I value a lot. And finally, Alden Diaz, uh, that Alden Diaz, give him a follow. Go listen to Octo Ready if you want to get to some uh, great Star Wars interviews. Uh, he is a, a passionate soul. Uh, Alden uh, was first on my radar screen uh, by calling in to this show years ago. He used to get great calls uh, from so many uh, wonderful folks back in the Daily Thrones days. Uh, but Alden's uh, calls, along with great calls from uh, Sir Thomas Tall, Thomas Risley, Mark Kamire, uh, Eric Monroe, Tamar, a lot of uh, great calls from the early days. But Alden, uh, he's, a, he's a born broadcaster, uh, worked in radio for years out in Florida, and uh, man, just love working with him. This uh, channel is growing because of the passion that he has brought and the names he's brought in, like Nikki Kumar and more on the way. Uh, it's a lot of fun hanging out with all of you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time here on Casterly Talk. Casterly Talk.